Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings and by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Well, we're at the end of our series on movement. I want to take us back through what all we've talked about, because it's something we should never forget, that this whole thing that we call Christianity, this whole reason that we gather together into the, in this space, it started as a movement a social movement. It wasn't a religion at the beginning. It wasn't any kind of institution. In the beginning, there weren't people who went off to seminary to study Christianity and all of its theology and uh, history in order to go out and do the stuff. It was just a movement, a humble movement by a few dozen people who ended up just telling people the good news about God's love. And as a movement, it began pushing back against some of the institutions, some of the systems that were in place at the time that had become stagnant. You see, the, the uh, systems that were in place, namely the things they pushed back against, were the, uh, the Jewish faith that was present at the time, as well as the Roman Empire. These systems had become very still. They weren't doing a whole lot for the benefit of humanity. And Christianity was kind of an answer to that. Now granted, Christianity was much more than that. By the, uh, by the very presence of Christ, everything changed in the world. And Christianity tries to follow this along in this movement meant to change the way that the world exists meant to change the way that we as human beings interact with one another, meant to change everything, but it was just a movement. And then eventually, Christianity becomes institutionalized, and we get these systems that start to arise within Christianity as Christianity becomes a dominant world religion and spreads throughout the world. And at some points, it gets to these 
dangerous low states. There were points where the church started charging people money so that they could be saved. Crazy, right? But the church has been there. There were points where the church instigated wars against people who didn't think like them. And all along the way, the church has gone through its own ups and downs and trying to reconfigure how it uh, operates. And we had different kinds of reformations. We had the Protestant Reformation uh, with Martin Luther. We also had things like the Jesus Movement that happened around like the 60s and 70s where the church tried to uh, re-expand itself. And that was the last time that the church really peaked in America, the 60s and 70s. That was like the peak. And since then, we've kind of been on this decline because we hit this point where we peaked and we said, don't change anything. Like this is, this is exactly where it needs to be and we need to hold everything right here because we're doing something right. And it's true, the church was doing something right. Unfortunately, they just said, stay right there. And so the first week of our series, we started talking about how the church has reached a point of comfort and security that has led to stagnation. And stagnation leads to atrophy. And that atrophy, if you've ever spent like way too much time laying in a hospital bed or something like that, is exhausting. And it makes it very difficult to get up and move again. And it takes a lot of work to get back to full strength again. But that's what happens when we spend too much time in one place. And then after that, we started talking about uh, some lessons that we could learn from Isaac Newton. Yes, we brought Newton into the church. Uh, he, Isaac Newton, as you might recall, was also very involved in theology and almost got ordained in the church, but ended up going on into a different route. Uh, but we still have, as the church, we still have stuff we could learn from him. Namely, we saw how the law of inertia applies to the church, an object in motion stays in motion, an object at rest stays at rest until acted on by an outside force. We saw how the movement of the church is its own force to be reckoned with, and we saw how force itself is propelled by interactions, people interacting with one another, objects interacting with one another. And last week we started talking about Christians as pack animals, how we are called to be followers not just a bunch of lone leaders, but followers, followers of Christ, our crazy leader. Because yes, if you look at the things that Jesus taught about, they were very contra contrary to the social norms of the day. Remain very contrary to the social norms of the day. And so we've been looking at the life of a movement and how we are called into this movement. And today, I want us to consider the most compelling part of a movement, which is that feeling of something that's connecting us to something greater than ourselves. So we're going to start with a very simple question. What's the meaning of life? Yeah, <laughs> simple question, right? Something that, uh, that you might have considered before in your life, something that philosophers have, have wrestled with uh, time and time again. I think I've found the answer. Maybe that's arrogant of me. <laughs> I think I've found the answer to the meaning of life. 
and it's not really my answer, but really just a, a collection of thoughts from other people who have essentially said the same thing, and it's going to sound a little redundant, but I believe that the meaning of life is about finding meaning in life. That's it. The meaning of life is about finding meaning in life. And I guess we can now expand the question to say, what does it mean to find meaning? And that word is going to start sounding weird if I say it too many more times. But if we think about what does it mean to find meaning in life, if that is really the meaning of life, consider for a moment the things that bring the most joy in people's lives. And now I'll challenge you. Think about actual joy, not just happiness. Happiness is fleeting, but joy is enduring. What are the things that bring the most joy into people's lives? There are a few staples. Family and friends are one of the first things that pop into people's minds when they think about joy. The people that, that, that we feel closest to, the people we feel connected to, that brings us joy whenever we have others that are close to us, that we can share fond memories with, that we can go on adventures with, that we can do life with. Our family and friends are often the first things we consider when it comes to joy, real joy in our lives. Another thing that might not be the first thing that comes to our mind, but is, uh, is scientifically, sociologically, and psychologically proven to uh, to expound joy in a person's life is giving back and helping others. Helping people out brings a lot of joy. Whatever that might be, uh, whether we you know, give, give a little money to somebody in need or help them buy a meal or maybe we take somebody into our homes for a time and take care of them. It's not easy giving back and helping others and it requires sacrifice from us, but there is this interesting joy that comes out of that. This joy that, that infects our lives because of something that we are doing. Another thing that brings joy to people is connecting with nature. If, uh, if you're a person who likes to get outside, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's time at, at the beach, just sitting there along the coastline, soaking up the sun. There's just something peaceful about that. Or maybe it's on a hike and you stumble upon a waterfall or, or whatever this might be. Even just spending a few minutes outside during the day has been, once again, I know this is going to sound cliche, but has been scientifically proven to increase our mood uh, in a positive way. Uh, just, just a few minutes outside a day, connecting with nature uh, has been shown to increase our joy in life. Finding inner peace. Uh, there, were, there were some sociologists who, who did a, a long-term study to find like, some, of, some of the most joyful people in the world. Not happy people. Like I said, happy pe ha happiness is fleeting. But some of the most joyful people in the world. And you know who, who they found to be some of the most joyful people? Buddhist monks. Yeah, fascinating. Buddhist monks. And, and they, they kind of explored their daily routines and everything, and they found that it was, it was their meditative practices that brought so much joy, that they had found true inner peace, that there was just something about their lifestyles and the way that they chose to connect with the world around them and how they chose to exist as themselves that brought joy. And then there's one other thing that brings true joy. 
Authentic worship. Interesting. Yeah, authentic worship. For a person to wholeheartedly engage with their, what we call, ultimate reality. Ultimate reality is just another way of saying God. With that thing which we see as greater than ourselves. And truly connecting with our ultimate reality. For Christians, that's our God. Through Christ and the Holy Spirit. In authentic worship promotes and sustains enduring joy. And now there may be other things in your life, but these, these few are true for just about everyone. If you're looking to bring some more joy in your life, try one of these things out. Connect with family and friends. Give back and help others. Connect with nature. Find inner peace. Engage in authentic worship. You can just about guarantee that that will at least bring some amount of, uh, of these positive emotions into your world during that time. And these things all have the same two things in common. The first is relationship. And relationship is, is kind of a narrow term in, in our society, but I want us to broaden it for just a moment. With family and friends, that's the very obvious one right there. That's a true relationship as we understand it. Helping others. Anytime we engage with another human being, we are establishing a relationship. Maybe not a deep one like we might imagine with our family and friends, but we are relating to that other person, to that other entity. Whenever we're connecting with nature, we are developing a relationship with our environment. Whenever we are finding and seeking inner peace, we are, we are cultivating a healthy relationship with ourselves. And when we are engaging in authentic worship, we are nurturing and uplifting our relationship with our God. So relationship is the first thing that all of these things have in common. The second thing that all of these things have in common is being a part of something greater than ourselves. Being a part of something greater than ourselves. Consider your time with family and friends. You stop talking about me whenever you talk about that time, and you start talking about us. We did this. We were doing this. It's something greater than just me. Whenever we're helping others, we're contributing to our society, lifting up somebody else's life, and we are a part of something greater than ourselves. When we're connecting with nature, we are experiencing the world around us in a pure, untainted way and finding that we are a small part of something greater than ourselves. When we are finding inner peace with ourselves, that might sound like it's just about me, but talk to any of these Buddhist monks who have experienced this great joy, and they say that peace... That peace, that experience is far beyond anything that I could ever bring about. That is something greater than me. And then authentic worship. I mean, that should be an obvious one. That right there is connecting with something greater than ourselves. So, this might beg the question for us, what makes something greater than me? What makes something be greater than me? Well, the answer, I think, comes whenever we understand that whatever it is, whatever that thing is that we see as greater than me, whenever we understand that it is not all about me, 
It's not even mostly about me. Rather, whenever we come to understand that I am a part of it, and it is a part of me, and we are both better because of that. That's what it means for something to be greater than ourselves. For us to experience and understand that I am a part of that thing. That is a part of me, and we are both better together because of that relationship. The most compelling part of a movement, any movement, is feeling connected to something greater than ourselves. This is also the driving force behind any movement, understanding that we are connected to something greater than ourselves. And we know this because we can also look and see what causes a movement to die. And you probably already guessed what causes a movement to die. A movement dies when we start making it about me, or I'll get personal, when we start making it about you, rather than making it about that which is greater than me or you. Unfortunately, we see this quite often in the church. You have, you have a church that exists, and they are doing their thing and doing whatever, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, but eventually a few people within that church become unhappy with the way things are, and so they break away from the church. They leave the church, and they start a new church, one that aligns more with their ideals. Right. And now don't get me wrong, no church is perfect, and, and many of those instances of a church splitting happen because the church was doing something wrong, it, it, like actually wrong. However, what we see in these instances of a church splitting is that people are making it about themselves rather than about the movement. They leave to start something that they think is better rather than, and this is what it would mean to be a part of the movement, rather than working to, way the, working to change the way things are from the inside out. That's a movement right there. Working to change the way things are from the inside out. Imagine if what churches end up doing, splitting and going their own way and starting their own, uh, their own things, imagine if this is what other movements in history did. Imagine, for just a moment, if instead of a nation rallying together to advocate for the rights of people of color, that all of those people just left and started their own country. We wouldn't have had the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement existed because the people within decided that it needed to change from the inside out. Now, sure, there probably were plenty of people who thought that it would have been better off for those people to go and leave and start their own country, but they saw that it wasn't about them. They didn't make it about themselves. They made it about something greater than them, and it became the civil rights movement. And yes, we're still working on that today, but it changed things. Imagine... If women's rights activists didn't work, try to work in the system to change the system, but instead started their own government. Like, I don't know how that would work. Like, two governments existing side by side, this like male-dominated one and this female-dominated one. That wouldn't be a movement. Instead, women's rights activists worked inside the system and structures within the government and, and, and the workforce and bringing change from the inside out, and that's what made it a movement. Not just people making it about themselves. Because if they were to just go off and start something all on their own, it would just be about them. 
but instead they saw the future. They looked ahead to what was to come, and they were able to engage in a movement. Imagine if the church in its early days decided that taking the gospel to the whole world was too big of a task, and they just kept it in Jerusalem. It wouldn't be a movement. In fact, Christianity would probably be dead like a long time ago. But instead, they looked ahead to something greater than themselves. They didn't make it about them. They made it about the movement. They made it about what God was trying to do in the world, to reach out to the ends of the earth to bring about change. And that right there is the only reason why we are gathered here today. Otherwise, I don't know what would be here on this plot of land, but it wouldn't be us. And so we see that a movement dies when we make it about me or we make it about you or just a few of us rather than about something greater than ourselves. And this is why we have so much to learn from Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Yes, I promise I'm getting to the Bible now. Because Paul understood that the movement that he was a part of had to keep, keep its focus on that which is greater than himself. Paul, in this point in his letter to the Philippians, says that he regards everything as loss compared to the value of knowing Christ. Listen to the things that he says in his letter here. He, he starts talking, he says, everything that I have gained all that I have gained is nothing. It's negligible. It's worthless. It's meaningless. Everything about what I have gained. And if you know Paul, he had gained quite a bit in his life. He was of pretty high status before he joined the whole Christian movement. Everything that I have gained is nothing. In fact, nothing in all the world could ever compare to the value of knowing Christ he says, consider that. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands here, but consider, would you give up everything in your life if it meant that you could know Christ more? Because that's what Paul is talking about. If I were to be honest, I'd have a pretty hard time with this decision because I'm not a very good Christian. But this is what Paul is talking about, something bigger than ourselves. He says, if it means gaining Christ, losing everything else is worth it. For it is God through Christ that makes us righteous, not anything that we do. There is nothing of, of what I have, nothing of what I have accomplished in my life, nothing of who I am that makes me worthy of the love of God. Rather, it is simply the love of God that has called me worthy, that has called you worthy. Just the love of God that has said, yes, you are enough. I love you. That's what Paul is talking about, something greater than ourselves. And he turns his attention to recognize that it is new life in Christ and Christ and the resurrection of Christ that is our pursuit. He calls this our goal. New life in Christ. Because Christ has called us beloved. 
because this great love is for us. This which is greater than ourselves is for us. That's the great paradox of this movement. Every other movement in the world, it's us for this movement. In this one, this whole movement is God for us. And our response should naturally become us for God, but that's not the way it starts out. It starts out God for us. This, Paul says, is greater than me and you and all of us, but it is also all for us. That kind of love. Therefore, I think that we should look forward to what God is doing and not just dwell on what has already passed. Paul says, I look to that which is ahead, not what is behind. Oh my goodness, how easy and how often it is for us to cling to that which is behind us. You've heard me uh, talk about that old cliche in churches. That's the way we've always done it. Paul says this is a useless expression. Looking forward. There is always a place for tradition in the life of the church. But that doesn't mean that we cling to the past. It means we grow with the past. This movement, Paul says calls us all, and it begs us to understand that a life worth living is a life for something greater than me. It is a life for Christ. What is the meaning for life? Philosophers have often wondered, it is finding meaning in life, and that meaning has been handed to us through Christ. And so my challenge for each and every one of us today is to take the advice of Paul and press on toward the goal of your heavenly call. To press on toward the goal of your heavenly call. And our heavenly call is in this movement. Not in this institution, not in this religion, but in this movement. The movement of Christ in the world. The activity of the Holy Spirit right around us. The goal of this movement is to see the world know the love of God in Christ and be nurtured in that love. That is the goal. So when Paul says press on towards this goal, it, he's saying press on to, so that the world may know the love of God in Christ and be nurtured in that love. Because it's bigger than all of us. It calls us to move in order to overcome our atrophy to move beyond our stagnation, to move outside of our comfort and security. It calls us to be a force to be reckoned with in the world, to be in motion, not inert, to see this movement grow through our interactions. It's a movement that calls us to recognize that we are pack animals, that we are better together, that we are better when we follow our shepherd that we are better when there are not a bunch of lone nuts acting by themselves, but rather a movement of excited disciples. This movement calls us to be a part of something greater than ourselves because therein lies our greatest joy, our greatest success, and our greatest potential to flourish. So press on toward that goal. Press on. Get into the movement. Be the church today better than we were yesterday. 
and may it be all for the glory of God. And let us pray.